Hello and welcome to the podcast series Raw Talent with me Fiona Abrahams where I'm deep diving behind the scenes into the careers, aspirations and inspiration of the many skilled and talented individuals who enable the fashion and creative industries to feed our passion for clothing and product. Throughout this podcast series I will be reaching out to the global community, exploring the industry through their eyes, asking people to share insights about the work they do, how they got started, their most compelling experiences, the trials and tribulations they have faced and overcome, who they have met along the way, the lasting friendships formed, the part culture plays in the work they do, and their thoughts on their futures and the future of the industry as we navigate the coronavirus pandemic. Welcome to Series 3, Episode 10 of Raw Talent, where we are back in London diving into brand development, communications and investment with John Hoffman, partner of the New Spirit Group and ex-chairman of the Communications Store, which has recently evolved into Science Magic Inc., with the mission of building, partnering with and investing in the brands and people of tomorrow using science, magic and experience. Hi, John. Welcome to Raw Talent. It's lovely to have you today. Thank you. It's great to be talking to you. So um, our paths first crossed a number of years ago at Fuishan Zhang, and we've kept in touch over the years. Tell us where you grew up and how your career path in investment banking has evolved to focus on the world of fashion. Well, um, I grew up for the most part in the UK. The accent that you hear in my belie the sort of reality that I think of myself as, as being half English and half American. Um, and, uh, and I've spent a lot of time, 11 years in the States, um, but grew up mostly in the UK and educated here and in the US. Um, and, uh, and having, I think that having a bit of perspective and distance um, has been a helpful thing in my life. Um, but I've been in the UK for uh, now coming up to 20 years um, with a bit of a flirtation in, in uh, France. Um, but uh, that's my sort of personal background. Um, when I came out of college, uh, I, uh, I got into investment banking as it was one of the jobs that people did um, that was uh, generalist financial and strategy training. That, uh, that I still find those times have been useful to me um, to this day. Uh, it also sort of cultivated a strong work ethic out of, uh, in me, maybe out of necessity. Um, but, uh, uh, but that was a sort of good backing in uh, finance and strategy um, and understanding businesses on a, on a broad basis. Um, and then I, I coming, coming out of uh, investment banking, and a bit of investing, I uh, came back to the UK um, and I was thinking about what, what are good businesses in the UK to get into and people seem to have made a lot of money and had great successes in finance, property and retail. Mm. And I'd already done finance to some extent and retail actually sort of stretches across all those uh, three silos. So, uh, and I, I like retail. I'd worked in investment banking in, uh, in a, a retail group 
there and uh, it thought it had a lot of dynamism and it's challenging and fast moving, but, uh, but, but a lot of fun too. Um, nice. So I was looking at retail more broadly, uh, did a couple of uh, jobs um, that were um, uh, sort of temporary um, consulting jobs, worked with Tesco's on their non-food strategy. Interesting. Um, back in the, um, a, a long time ago. The early days when they were thinking of time. Yeah, 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 how interesting. It was, uh, uh, it was perhaps more respected then than it is now, but <laughs> it was interesting. Oh. Um, yeah. And then, uh, then I got into department stores, um, right. and uh, and that uh, that was the sort of start of my uh, journey, rather than general retail. And I, I have a friend, um, Mesh Chibber, who I remember is one of my oldest friends. And when he was ten years old, or maybe sort of thirteen to fifteen, he um, he kicked around London and was wearing Comme des Garçons and the Yoji Yamamoto from a, from an early age, and. Oh, wow. uh, and that conversation about fashion has uh, continued with him forever and has uh, <laughs> uh, been helpful and interesting. And so yeah. uh, influences over time, really. How interesting. Which labels is he wearing these days? Same ones. <laughs> <laughs> Lord to the end. Excellent. Black. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. As your career has unfolded, would you say that you've actively guided the trajectory or have you reacted more to opportunities in the market? I think like a lot of people, um, a bit of both of those have mm. um, in, in reality. It's been quite evolutionary and uh, I always think it would be better to guide it more, but I've also picked up interesting opportunistic things that that have come along mm. um, and I think that's uh, uh, that's a a good position to have you know I've learned the importance of networking um, mostly out of a natural interest in other people I think on my on my own part I've never been particularly brilliant at hustling um, but also I guess just positioning yourself well enough to go after high quality opportunities when when they're presented but you know I've missed a, a few as well um, so a little bit of uh, guided but also just picking up opportunities as time has gone by. Sounds um, yeah sounds like something I hear quite often and uh, I totally relate to you in terms of the non the non-hustling and uh, being more of a natural networker I think um, yeah it's nice to be able to hear people's stories find out what they do um, build connections sometimes you never hear from people for 10 years or more and then your paths cross again it's it's so interesting life yeah and that's nice sometimes when, when those uh, those things surprise you and you're able to do, uh, work productively with people who you've come across before and there's an element of trust you know working in relationships and building trust with people and or, or that's the positive side of it. And uh, and if you can incorporate that from different elements of your life into your work life, then that's fantastic. Absolutely. And some of your early experience was with um, Selfridges Group, Whittington Investments, and Le Planton in Paris. What would be the highlights from this time? Well, I think uh, it was, they're both re really interesting uh, roles and businesses to be associated with. Yes. Um, and uh, department stores, to me, as much as they've morphed into the 
net-a-portes and far-fetches and that sort of thing, or or that's where the weight of the industry is. Um, yeah. they, they, they're still a fascinating business. And I think for me, gave me a really good overview of what worked across many different product segments, like apparel, accessories, food, home, children's wear, beauty, mm. um, all of those different sort of product areas, as well as sort of what worked well from top luxury brands to proper high street. Um, and from a branded perspective, price orientation, all that sort of thing. You know, in the same building in Selfridges, LVMH is there um, in the accessories hall, beating uh, mm-hmm. a bunch of the high-end luxury brands. And mm-hmm. uh, at the same time, you, you even have Primark in store. Um, so, uh, so there's a vast swathe of it. And it was interesting to me to be able to understand uh, a lot of the market that's there, what worked well, um, what didn't work particularly well, um, and uh, and that sort of thing. And both of those experiences for me were working as a um, as a local based representative of the foreign owners, um, and both of them were aimed at trying to create something uh, a bit different and special out of the their interpretation of the luxury market. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, you know, at, at Le Printemps. Uh, in in uh, France, um, they had I think eighteen stores at the time, um, and we had a strategy of uh, trying to um, have cœur du luxe, the, the heart of luxury, um, and uh, and what luxury constituted, you know, on Boulevard Haussmann, smack in the middle of Paris, was very different from what luxury was in the uh, in the outskirts of. Uh, of Marseille. Um, so different customers and sort of that taught me a lot about customer segmentation, um, what's appropriate, how do you uh, approach and converse with and sell to uh, different types of customers in different ways. Yeah. Um, but they were both sort of portfolio businesses that were, uh, that were fascinating. Um, and, uh, and I think my swing now has been more towards sort of brands um and i guess i guess technologies that um that help those brands and things like that but really interesting time and quite frankly i was i was a pretty young fellow um when i was doing certainly when i started out at, at selfridges and to be you know role as a director there and yes uh, and to help on that front in times when there's a bit of change going on too and same at, at Le Printemps, um, where, where I had maybe a bit more responsibility and, uh, and a bit more of an overview um, and independence. But it was, uh, it, it was fascinating. I can imagine. Interesting times. And then sort of in the last five years, you've been uh, chairman of the communications store, which uh, has recently transformed into Science Magic Inc. and also achieved B Corp status. Yeah. Tell us a bit about that. Well, this month is B Corp month too, right? So yes. It's, uh, it's exciting. And uh, um, that's just, just part of it. But uh, uh, at the at the start, we uh, did a small buyout of uh, one of the founders' uh, shares after he decided to leave the business, and he was a um, uh, wonderful help to the business. But uh, he wanted to just move on, um, and uh, and you know that happens in careers and, and life, and that's yes. um, absolutely. <laughs> and 
As chairman, I also helped encourage the development of new product offerings um, and services to clients of the business, um, such as Purpose, which was always core to the um, DNA of the company and the brand. And out of the uh, founder, Julieta Dexter's character and orientation as a person, um, which is admirable and, and brilliant. Um, and but formalizing that, I think, was uh, was really uh, positive uh, for the business, for its um, employees, and uh, and encouragingly for uh, the customers as well and clients. Um, so, purpose and digital creative content, uh, global established a business in the U.S. Um, that I continue to think has a lot of potential for. Uh, for Science Magic Inc. Um, and those sorts of things. But um, ultimately, my role as a chairman is to, to try and point in the right direction strategically, operationally, encourage the owner managers um, to uh, make decisions quickly and uh, try to maintain some rigor in the business as, uh, as it grows. And, um, and so now Science Magic Inc. Um, has been has emerged out of a long discussion um, with the founders and David Pamsel, who's joined the business um, as a as a principal and as the CEO. Um, and it's a new company and an evolution, not simply a transformation. Um, mm-hmm. Where you know the the business was established because we believe that clients and businesses need properly joined up strategic thinking. Uh, data understanding combined with creative ideas that can be optimized digitally or, or offline, taking on the general approach to, to your client's needs. Um, so it's merging the science of data with the magic of the creative world and making it relevant through experiences for the customers. Hence, Science Magic Inc., quite simply. Um, and when you combine that with uh, from the part of the people in the business, a deep understanding of the magic of fashion and lifestyle and beauty. Um, I think the team is doing an excellent job of driving that new thinking throughout the business and bringing new solutions to uh, to our clients, both um, new and, and current and old. We've hired new creative director, um, different individuals with uh, deep experience in uh, in tech and how to deliver the experience to the customers, as well as helping talent, you know, effectively people um, mm. grow on top of the historically sort of strong business partnering with brands. Um, mm. So that's been a, a long conversation, and uh, and it was great to get that out in the open um, as the business launched properly in uh, in September um, and of last year. Interesting pivot in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah, very. Um, I think that's you know that's an important thing for uh, for all businesses to try and adapt and morph. Um, you know, Science Magic Inc. is maintaining rele- relevance and pushing boundaries, um, using data a lot, combining it with creativity, have an integrated yeah. viewpoint. Um, yeah. And it's all driven by what the clients sort of need, um, not only now but in the in, in the future. Yeah. Um, and I think there's only going to be increased demand for for these type of better integrated, well thought through uh, solutions across the board. A hundred percent at all levels: big businesses, small businesses, 
whether you're doing yeah. it in-house, whether you're working with an external um, force like Science Magic Inc., 100%. I could not agree with you more. It's, and uh, uh, you can't be forward. afraid. You, you can't be afraid of change. That's um, right. Absolutely. And, and actually, so people yeah. are. It's, an inter- it's interesting that you say that because often business owners that have been running businesses for very long periods of time just find themselves a bit daunted by um, the complexities and sort of this new world that we're in and aren't always sure how to navigate that. So it's a, it's an interesting conversation, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. get involved in these discussions. As you alluded to sort of B Corp, uh, mm. I think that, you know, is another example of a fundamental change in approach. Yeah. Um, that uh, um, that'll be really positive, but um, also you know, there's a process for uh, for that in any business, not a, not just becoming a B Corp, but also um, in in embracing change and uh, and yes. pushing forward with it. You know, and for us, B Corp status or for anyone is it means. Uh, having a holistic way of thinking and making decisions while taking into account, you know, the impacts of those decisions on all stakeholders, you know, owners, yeah. employees, customers, yeah. the community you live in. And, uh, it's and, impact, and, isn't it? It's impact yeah. and purpose as well as profit. Yeah. And and combining all of those in a holistic way mm. is important. And, you know, purpose to me is a necessary lens through which you can connect with customers and all of your the people in your in your uh, sort of network, um, and allows you to be sort of appreciated by your customers. Um, and you know, in in marketing speak, you always think about creating that emotional link with customers. And purpose is um, is not just a tool like that. It's got to be authentic um, to uh, to really connect with people and ensure that. Um, that you do that in a meaningful way. And I think if, you know, especially for consumer-oriented businesses, uh, I think that you will be greatly less successful if you're not doing that. Um, And I think of that in the short term. There are already lots of reports about how, um, call it purposeful businesses are more uh, profitable, higher turnover growth and things like that. Yes. Um, but it's not sort of greenwashing like you do see all the time. Um, I, uh, I was having a chat with a friend who's building an excellent uh, um, uh, finance um, investment platform called Climb 8. Mm. Number 8. Uh, for uh-huh. purpose of environmental investment. I, you know, sort of put some savings into a rising tide of businesses that will be helpful to the world. And uh, he posted a reaction um, about uh, the ESG being a good filter for the FTSE 100 um, that had ranked, someone had ranked British American Tobacco as the third highest scoring ESG stock. And his comment was, you know, that's a joke. Um, think about the damage that that sort of a business does to our environment and, you know, the health impact on uh, of their products on the world and all that sort of stuff. Um, and uh, so that's what I mean between the difference between sort of what I call greenwashing and really having it as a fundamental part of your DNA. Um, and, uh, and I think, you know, it's, it's great that more and more people are understanding B Corp 
and thinking in that way because ultimately it's it's what the the <coughs> customers um, want and is positive and good for the world. Absolutely, and people are really intent on seeking out um, brands from which they can buy products that have that are on a mission and that have. Uh, good intentions and are putting their good intentions into action. So it's very, very consumer driven. Um, and we're certainly seeing a wave of amazing entrepreneurial brands launching and kind of coming up to fill the space of the mass retailer, which I think is very interesting as well. So, um, yeah, we shall see how it all evolves in the coming years. Um, Quickly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Quickly. Unmade is another one of your success stories, um, sure. and it's a business in which um, you enable businesses. Unmade itself enables businesses to produce bespoke product at scale through production driven by demand. Tell us a bit about how that works. Sure. Um, well, yeah. First, I think it's a fantastic business, um, and it's a it's a, it's really a tech enabling product. Yes. Um, and it focuses mostly on digital print and knitwear, um, but it enables a brand to offer bespoke product, customizable by the individual customer, um, and then links it up digitally um, to automated manufacturing of that product. So um, I remember hanging up in the offices of Unmade is a um, scarf of a portrait of Ernst Hemingway. And uh, they had taken a picture and said, can we just knit this as a, as a scarf? Right. And what it means is there's a freedom in the graphical interface mm-hmm. with some limitations, but pretty much to take a, 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 even a picture um, or some design, play with it, and then be able to put that embedded in a product rather than just slapping something, uh, you know, a picture on, on, on the surface of a, mm. uh, of a cotton, cut and sew um, product. Um, and so, uh, like, it, it allows a customer to, you know, take a jumper, put Fiona's fun on it, rotate it around the place, change the color, um, and, uh, and embellish in a way that you want and you can click a button and that will uh, lead automatically to a uh, produced garment um, in a, in a manufacturing site somewhere in the world. So it not only um, delivers what a customer wants. I'm a big believer in the sort of long trend of personalization of product, mm. um, but it's also hugely impactful for the brand that captures the benefits of demand-driven manufacturing. So you shift from when a brand creates the product, designs and creates it, then manufactures it, then sells it, and hopes to be able to sell all of it and determine what's profit at the end of the season and chuck away a bunch of stuff at the end. It changes from that model to engaging a customer in co-creating that product selling it to them, then manufacturing and delivering it. Mm. And that swapping it around means uh, they're good, good economics for the individual businesses. So there's potential for higher prices if you want to charge that on customized product. Um, can be justified, certainly, but um, it's sometimes just given away as more interesting uh, product at the same price as other. Um, 
but it's made for each customer. So there's no waste of pre-made stock. There's very little returns. Uh, the company gets paid before making it. So the working capital implications are actually huge. Um, and it's a good example of a tech disruptive business that reimagines how the business processes work for a, for a better system for everyone, for the consumers, the brands, manufacturers, and, and, and the world. Yeah. And, uh, and it's being implemented now with forward thinking partners. You know, Ralph Lauren was, um, was a key early, uh, customer. They're still doing um, business and and creating product for the customers for for that business. New Balance, Rafa Cycles, Tommy Hilfiger, Farfetch, and others. And they're looking for more. So you know, it's it's aimed mostly at scaled businesses because there's a bit of a cost for setting that up across all of your supply chain and that sort of thing. Of course. Um, but uh, but I think it's a really interesting example of a, of a bold business that's reimagining how to do things and in, in ways that are better for everyone. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. It's a brilliant way of helping to look after our environment and also encourage people to buy investment pieces that they're going to kind of want to keep and treasure forever. So again, yeah. cutting down on waste. So it's a, it's a fantastic, it's, it's got so many benefits. It's brilliant. When you design the product, you engage with it a lot more and you'll oh, like it as a result. And, uh, yeah. or, or, <laughs> and, uh, and th- those are, those are keepers for your wardrobe rather than things that you wear a couple of times and then, uh, and then discard. Exactly. Exactly. Share with us some of the key learnings and insights, particularly in the last five years as business has evolved at uh, a digitally enhanced pace. We've probably touched on a few, but what else brings sure. to mind? Um, well, we have touched on a few. I think, I guess, if you look back the last five years, and um, I think you're right, and just in the nature of the question means digital technology evolution. Exactly. And pace is only getting faster. Quite. Adapt or die is very much the truth of the, of the reality of now, particularly in like retail consumer businesses where mm-hmm. the customers are um, and customer desires and needs are evolving very rapidly and taste. Um, so be digitally native first, I guess. Um, if you have to retrofit, fine, but um, be comfortable with cannibalizing your own business to some extent in order to make that conversion faster. Um, but I was talking with someone else about sort of new retail as opposed to old style retail. And to me, it's all, all the same. Um, but having that new approach is really about, I think, maybe a little bit niches and technology. Um, so technology is becoming more and more important. Um, and I think we need good people also to help, um, to help businesses understand the data and to make it useful for each customer and business because mm. um, there's so much data that is out there and available. Um, it's a matter of how you try and get it and how you make that useful for your own business. And, and, and whether you've got the expertise in the business, I guess, to be able to interpret that as well, that's always another factor. Yeah. Or through external parties who can help or you. external that. parties, exactly. Yeah. exactly. I remember once trying to find a, um, a head of digital for a business. And uh, and I saw a map of uh, what digital meant, and it was uh, it was just huge. It was actually a tube map 
um, with each tube stop, London tube, uh, each tube stop represented like an industry silo. And within that silo, that segment of activity, there was, you know, multiple businesses that were huge billion, you know, pound businesses and things like that. Um, so digital is just another flip side of how you approach everything in uh, the world of business. Um, so that's important, obviously. I think I, I guess I'd also say there's some consistency in my appreciation of value-driven businesses um, that are the values that are that are um, important to that business and hopefully resonate with um, with customers. Yes. Um, I think also over the last five years, I've become more appreciative of niche businesses. Yeah. Um, where you're delivering an excellent product to a specific type of customer. Yeah. Um, and whether that be tights or, you know, fintech services for the gaming industry was yeah. one of my um, you know, uh, there's the lots of niche businesses and in a world where we are immediately global by having a digital channel, an Instagram account or a website, um, you know, I think that, um, uh, that appeal, um, and the, the, uh, the value of having, um, uh, a proper attack to a niche problem or a niche, you know, solution that you have found is is really interesting. Um, and then I guess, you know, there's something also about in the short term, something about property um, and uh, that flip between um, retail in stores and digital that we're still grappling with. If you look about look at the uh, the government and how it's grappling with how it taxes businesses mm. its rates versus online VAT versus that there's a lot of sort of fragmentation of issues and difficulties of that and you look at brexit and its impact um, you know with UK businesses trying to sell into the EU and uh, yeah, it's one market but you still have hugely fragmented rules about um, how that's being done from here or anywhere and it's um, uh, it's difficult but um, you know uh, I think there's um, there's a lot of those problems that continue to evolve and you know the more you can find interesting product and an interesting customer base that's reception receptive to that product you know it's it's um, that's that's where your secret lies yeah absolutely 2020 was very much a topsy-turvy year for us all what did you learn through this experience (laughs) quite a lot it has been a topsy-turvy year hasn't it um there's been a lot with um pandemic brexit everything on a uk basis yeah um but uh, but I guess from a personal basis, I've uh, I've sort of felt and appreciated uh, humility, balance, compassion, um, that sort of thing. The importance of family, health, and exercise <laughs> is is uh, true for everyone, um, and that life is precious and short as well. Yeah, um, it is. Uh, I guess from a reality, you know, we're still in the throes of we see some emergence of 
uh, coming out of lockdown, but we're still you know, now only allowed to meet one other person and sit down on a park bench with them. Um, there's a, still a lot of Zooming going on. Um, I guess today, if you can, have some savings for a rainy day. <laughs> but also thinking about businesses, um, you know, how, that I've seen the benefit of resilience and niche, as we were talking about just a moment ago. Ah. Some businesses are still growing strongly. They are, absolutely. There's rapid evolution going on, and those businesses that can use the technology and evolve quicker um, and also have different approaches if it's not even just technology. You remember right at the beginning of the um, of the pandemic times, uh, a year ago, there was this theme that came out about the digitization of everything, and we've seen mm-hmm. that be true. Um, but there are other businesses that, um, that are still going strong. Um, yeah. Uh, one business I, I'm close to, uh, Rock, um, which is great women's wear, um, that has thrived and done well, um, evolving product, learning to be careful on costs, um, accessing Asia, which is a very much an open market now. Very much an open market. I've heard that from quite a few people. Yeah. Um, uh, another shoe business, Neos. Um, who uh, who were about to launch um, bags and did so in the midst of the pandemic. Um, you know, I remember scratching my head about Farfetch um, at the beginning of the pandemic, and that has expanded exponentially and further increased and benefited from good strategic choices of what to do, um, tie up with China, um, that sort of thing. Uh, and others like in, in jewelry, um, there's a great business called Vashi um, that is very familiar. Yes. Yeah, doing personalized product yes, um, for right. jewelry, which is you know fantastic. Imagine build a bear with diamonds. And, yeah, and it's other very things. clever. It's it's brilliant, and he's been in that game for a long time. Um, yes. Where uh, uh, and and is therefore authentic and understands and is capable of, of doing that. It's built a business to service personalization. Yeah. Uh, bloom and totally the way things are going it is all about personalization yeah yeah that's well it's certainly a strong sort of trend to to grapple with and you know not every business can all of a sudden turn on the dime and offer that but True. um there's bespoke product i remember we met over uh Huishan Zhang, right we did uh, and uh Huishan, uh i think he from a very early on on stage had a distinct advantage in being um uh, in having a different setup for most early stage fashion businesses, he did. He was completely unique in what he was doing, both by in terms of the product offering, which was very much his own vision, and has gone on to be enormously successful. But also the way he was manufacturing, and the way he was kind of the, the whole structure was just very slick. And yeah. very and the fact that he he had a quick, responsive um, Chinese. Uh, uh, production group that he That's controlled it. and owned. Yeah, um, it was wonderful. Enabled him to do bespoke business, uh, one-off special pieces for you know high net worth individuals, um, as well as doing capsule collections with store groups. Um, mm. And that flexibility is uh, is is I, th- I think really important. Um, yeah, he had that great ability to bring something unique to the market that was just 
completely different and that's often what people want is something that's very individual so yeah he's done amazingly and i think those businesses that think differently about the world and don't just try and be a brand and create some product that they um that, that the founders might like um but they think differently about the structure of the business mm. and their approach to it and have some sort of X factor that's interesting have been those businesses that have thrived. Yeah, very much so. During your career, you've experienced or have you experienced um, an unexpected turn of events that delivered surprising results? Can you think of an example? <laughs> <laughs> There's been lots of surprises, and, <laughs> and I think that's you know one of the things you need to prepare for in life. Totally. But um, I guess I'll focus on the surprisingly positive ones. Go on then. Um, and uh, uh, I guess um, talent is always really important, okay. and businesses can have a good strategy, but the people make it happen True. and make the difference between success and failure. Yeah. And uh, and I think that's been um, evidence in, in in a few different ways in uh, the businesses I've come across and all that sort of stuff. I, you know, Charlotte Tilbury, for example, um, yeah. is beauty business rather than fashion, and, uh, and and that that's been a rocket of a of a business, hasn't it? Really well. Oh my goodness. But uh, when I first met Charlotte, I, you know, I helped her write a bit of a business plan and raise some money early on, and um, and I happened to know her, uh, her MD Demetra, um, and uh, I played a very small role early on. Um, but uh, I thought the, uh, the the talent that was in her was obvious, yeah. um, and her uh, drive was. Um, was there? I wasn't sure whether there'd be the you know um, the ability to, to to seize that opportunity, or humbly speaking, I didn't see how large that opportunity could be. Um, and uh, and I think that has been you know just a rip roaring success. And all credit to Charlotte and Demetra and the whole team there for uh, for building that business. That um, the, the, I remember sort of writing the you know, germinal seeds for around our kitchen table. Wow. Um, so, uh, so that's been, you know, a, a good, good surprising result, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. It just goes to show, doesn't it? I, I thought about another thing that was um, back to uh, headhunters and being, yeah. sorry. For, uh, yeah, for no, go, go, go. That actual tell, phrase. Me about, tell me about headhunters. Um, I love to hear I, from the other side of the fence. Yeah. <laughs> networking um and uh I, I remember my time with Printon, the Printon, the french department store chain um actually came about from a chance encounter i'd met a headhunter five months previously or something like that um and then out of the blue i hadn't thought much of the conversation but he uh, apparently remembered it and he just called me up and said there's this this opportunity and it looks like coming out of selfridges that i i and it seemed to fit the bill. And um, so sort of, you know, being um, good to people, taking care to, uh, to um, connect with people properly is a, 
um, is a good thing. And that adventure, which was a, a, a great adventure for a number of years, um, both in the UK and France, you know, was a result of just a one-off conversation with one, um, one guy once. Um, fantastic adventure that came out of, you know, a, a very casual um, conversation with no expectations or thoughts. But anyway, That's those were some surprises. Often the way things, often the way things evolve, actually, I think um, I've, I've had many of those experiences over the years. It's uh, it's, it's fascinating. Yeah. You are the, you're also the founding partner of the New Spirit Group, which is an independent brand orientated consulting, lending, and investment group, advising companies on strategy and operational issues and building blocks. Tell us a bit about your work and how you see this evolving as we are, as we find ourselves in this new era. Sure. Um, well, New Spirit Group is, um, it, it's a group where we're flexible about how we um, are trying to help our clients. But effectively, we're just trying to help bold entrepreneurs and owner and manage retail businesses um, to grow and develop their brands and, and, and businesses. Um, and we've worked with nascent businesses at the very early stage, you know, talk about um, Charlotte Tilbury, for instance. Yeah. Um, lots of other businesses that have not worked out as well, um, but also uh, larger businesses, uh, value retail, you know, BC partners, you know, things like that. Mm. Um, and it, it, it effectively, we try and help um, in flexible ways that suit our um, clients and their needs. Um, to there, There's a bit of consulting in there, which is mostly about long-term strategy and operational structure mm-hmm. and how the business is set up and can improve. But we're trying to help point towards like high growth and hit an inflection point. Yeah. and help businesses seize opportunities for, for strong growth. And sometimes that's just external advice. Sometimes it's taking on interim roles. You know, um, I've been a you know, general manager, a salesperson, HR, COO, um, helping out in, in different roles just as, as the businesses have need, needed. Um, we've also done some investments, um, some in equity, uh, like... Uh, Nicholas Kirkwood, um, yes. fashion shoe business, um, which was a um, great example of helping a business where we had done a bit of consulting and then put some money in the business and led a fundraising round um, and helped them grow from being um, a quite small business to eventually being bought out by LVMH. And there's an element of luck in that from from our perspective. Yes. Um, and uh, And hats off to... Uh, Nicholas and Christopher Suarez uh, for building that business so strongly, um, but also in we've also invested in other non-fashion businesses too, um, Unmade, for example, that we talked yes. about earlier, and and, and some others. Um, and now uh, I, I'm also in the process of setting up um, a part of the business that provides debt finance to a relatively earlier stage. Um, fashion businesses to plug the working capital gap. Yeah. So when a business needs to pay, um, like all the fashion businesses will understand this, need to pay the, uh, the, the manufacturers and producers for uh, stuff and then get sold. Uh, you know, it gets sold and they get paid by the retailers months later. Um, yes. And there's a gap. 
there yes. that, uh, that a lot of businesses struggle with. They and do. Been, and, and I think is sort of underappreciated as a real problem, um, mm. particularly for earlier stage fashion businesses. So we've helped businesses like uh, Rock, Wells Bonner, um, a few others. We sort of are looking to um, provide capital that's, that's flexible and quick to uh, obtain, hopefully. Um, to businesses that are a little bit established, they're between half a million and five million of sales, 10 to 30 employees in business for two to five years, those sorts of groups. Um, mm. And we're the only business that I know of that, um, that focuses on this sort of working capital problem for the underserved fashion sector. Um, and, uh, and we understand the fashion business deeply. So I think can evaluate what businesses we can try and help, but we're, you know, capital limited. We're in the middle of trying to uh, raise capital for that um, so that we can lend it on productively to, uh, um, to good businesses. So watch this space in many ways, but yeah, to me, that'd be fantastic for so many. Another sort of thing that I thought would um, be well needed in the industry and, yes. uh, and, and, uh, the trick is trying to do that in a way where you're backing winners um, and um, and won't damage them if you come out um, and that sort of thing. Um, yes, absolutely. But, uh, it's always about mitigating risk, isn't it? And you want to be working with businesses that you can see they're on a mission, you can see the potential. So, and there's some data absolutely. to back that up. So, yeah. yeah, that makes perfect sense. What advice do you have for entrepreneurs and businesses as fashion raises its game to embrace and engage with its customers like never before? Well, I think this reflects a lot of what we've talked about. Oh, definitely. Um, you know, there's, there's the importance in uh, having a strong vision, passion for the, the business and effort. Um, you know, to me, it's 90% execution, if not more. Mm. Um, uh, having good information on yeah. which to, to make good judgments. Um, yeah. Having good people is key. Yes, very much um, so. You know, perseverance and realism. Um, and uh, I, I guess going back to understanding the product and customer mix differently. You know, if you're talking about engaging with customers, that's yeah. about um, actually doing a lot of that engaging. And now that's increasing yes. with digital channels. Um, but there's been a lot that you've talked about on your historical podcast too, about creating a community um, and, uh, and engaging with, uh, with customers um, and find what works for your brand and what's right for you. But, you know, skew towards the direct B2C channel of sales um, through digital. Uh, but, uh, but that's because that enables that individual communication to be, um, and conversation to be started, and you see lots of businesses that are that are using that in uh, understanding what types of products are going to be uh, well received by customers, and even in creation of the of, of the products themselves. Hundred um, percent, yeah, it's it's definitely moving more and more in that direction, where mm-hmm. feedback is ever more vital um, because businesses are not wanting to be producing tons of stock that ultimately they have to dispose of. They want to be creating product that people buy, keep, want, hence the, the birth of pre, the pre-order model, which has just taken off um, like crazy during the pandemic. Um, mm-hmm. 
So yeah, it's yeah. Uh, it's fascinating. And I think it's, it's it's also just about creating product that the customers like. Yeah, uh, you talk about it, you know, product being less wasteful and things like that. But actually, it's it's also about um, getting creating right, getting, a platform for yeah. high high growth of sales. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It comes back again to sort of having the right designers and the right people within your business. So yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah. What do you think is the future of the high street? There is a consensus that we would always love to shop and have that physical interaction with people and product. What are your thoughts on that? Well, it's pretty, uh, pretty, pretty of the moment. This particular discussion, right? It is, uh, and uh, undeniably, the high street is changing, and what that means, you know, Main Street, London versus High Street in secondary and tertiary locations. If you talk retail speak and that sort of thing. Um, but I, I, I am a believer that post-pandemic and over the next 20 years, there will continue to be a need for you know, physical stores for brands. Yeah. Um, certainly to a lesser degree. I mean, that's obvious um, to what has existed before. Um, but it's still an important way to, uh, to, I think, reach customers, showcase your brand and your product and touch and feel. But it's just one part of reaching your customers in an omni-channel way and having that engagement with them. So you have more iPads in stores, um, but I think there still will be stores. There'll be less of them. Um, And, you know, you look at alternative uses of the high street. um, There's going to be more services, uh, different types of products, not just sort of showcasing. It's not like a car sales room. Um, I think it's got to be more engaged and productive than that, um, giving them really interesting product maybe as an avenue for personalization too. But, you know, touch and feel is, is, is useful mm. um, and, and interesting to customers. So it'd be, a, you know, less important um, to a business, but still an important part of an omni-channel approach. Yeah, um, makes I sense. do think on a, the, the, on a property side, there is, uh, I, I think that the, current situation where leases are long-term and are upward only rent reviews has to change. Yes, I agree. And I think that that's happening now as you see more landlords um, accepting uh, turnover rent, for instance, a percentage of of turnover um, being the rent so that rent can go up or down as a business goes up or down you know it's it's not right that everybody just works for the landlord Absolutely. but the, the 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 situation is such that the leases are you know omnipresent and structurally there's very little incentive to change or very little ability for any one person or group to impact large swathes of uh, of the, the high street. Um, yeah. Government will be important. Um, retail centers will be important, however you define retail centers. But, you know, there, there, there will be traffic and people going into stores. You know, mm. but, um, but how that's done will change. And I think, I think it'll take a while still to unblock it, even if we ascribe to the um, reality that this pandemic and other impacts have meant that the pace of change is still rapid. Um, yeah. But we'll see. 
yes, it's going to be an interesting. It's going to be interesting to watch how that evolves, and I'm sure it will evolve. It'll be fascinating. Yeah. What would you love to do that you haven't yet done in business? Because you've 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 mm-hmm. covered a lot of ground. But what's what would you like to do? You've obviously got the initiative to plug the cash flow gap for small businesses. So that's mm-hmm. one thing. But what else is on your on your on your list? Well, that's one of my. Uh, uh, that's how I'm currently looking at trying to um, be a co-founder of a new tech-enabled consumer-focused business. Okay. Uh, and uh, that's uh, I, I. I'd love to to do that and do that successfully. I dream sometimes of uh, starting a brand. Um, uh, you know. But sometimes in fashion, also actually in beauty, I think uh, it's another industry that I greatly respect. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, but you know that that current um, that's the way I'm currently dreaming of it. Um, uh, I, I don't have like massive aspirations to uh, um, to to write a book um, <laughs> or, uh, uh, or or other things like that. You probably um, should. It would be really interesting. <laughs> Thank you. Nice to share. <laughs> uh, my dad, like my dad, uh, I've got lots of stories to tell. Um, but uh, we love um, a good story. Yeah, um, but if you know, I, I, I'd like to, you know, be a, a, a principal in a you know tech-enabled consumer business, and uh, this is the current guys. Nice. We should watch this space and see what happens. Yeah. Right. Exciting. And it leads bit. us to, yeah, and it leads me, it actually leads us to the closing question, which is this. If you could hire any three people in the world to lend their expertise, their expertise to the new spirit group, who would you choose and why? That's a tricky one. Um, I'm not sure I've got three. Um, and uh, um, I'd go for the... Uh, for one, the classic Steve Jobs, okay. um, in as much as he is a you know has been a uh, lots of stories of painfulness and difficulty and all that sort of stuff. He's an innovator. What I, anyone could fit this role, but he's really good. Was really good at being an innovator um, in a radical way yeah. and uh, and relentlessly demanding. Um, yes. in order to achieve what was his vision of what was good for um, for uh, for customers and, mm. and, and people in the world. And building up that sort of a business uh, twice mm. um, is, uh, is pretty impressive. Um, I guess for the moment, another person I, I can think of was um, uh, is the, the founder of TransferWise, a guy called Tavet. Um, actually, the two co-founders there. Um, but uh, TransferWise is a fintech business that um, allows people to um, transfer money to other countries in the world, um, but not through the gates of banks. Um, you're effectively taking um, for distant diaspora, say, a, a, um, uh, you know, a, a Mexican or, a, um, or an Estonian who wants to 
um, send money to Estonia and you pair that up with somebody who wants to transfer money into the UK and things like that. Um, and that's a cracking, you know, fintech, probably a unicorn by now. Um, and uh, Tavik came out of Skype, which was another fascinating business. Um, so, hey, maybe that's another one. Nicholas Sendstrom, who, uh, um, who was the founder of Casa and Skype and Atomica um, that now invests in, um, in uh, revolutionary businesses. Um, and uh, uh, I think, like as I was saying with Unmade, the, um, these are people that have reimagined a different solution from the way um, things were to create huge businesses because they are so appreciated by customers. If you look at Skype, which is the first of the digital, uh, you know, telephony, yes. um, you know, it started off with telephone, went fast into video. Yeah. Um, imagine how we would be in the world of the pandemic without oh. the ability to uh, call people easily um, and in many ways, video calling and for free. You know, my parents are based in the US and I love the fact that we can video call and uh, they can keep up with what the uh, what my kids are doing um, for free. Um, yeah. It's stunning. And uh, and if we didn't have that, I think we'd, we'd be you know, in a different mindset. Um, oh, my goodness. It would have been incredibly, uh, unimaginably challenging, I think. So... Uh, uh, Yes, very much so. Great suggestions. Thank you for those. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on here. And if we're if you're not going to write the book, then we'll have you come back on and tell more stories. Fear. <laughs> um, hopefully, I can learn from those stories. And uh, <laughs> I think we're we all can. <laughs> yeah, it's been an absolute delight. And uh, thank you for for having me on your podcast. It's fantastic. My, pleasure. My absolute pleasure. My conversations with John are always interesting and it has been great to have him share his experiences and insights. For successful small businesses navigating the cash flow challenges of manufacturing and retail, it is great to hear that John has a solution to offer in enabling them to plug this gap and continue their mission. My other key takeaways are John's tips on the importance of being digitally native first. And if you have to retrofit, that's fine too. Be prepared to cannibalise your business. Niching down and harnessing technology is the focus when it comes to creating a value-driven business with an excellent product that engages the customer. John's role at what was formerly the communications store captures a five-year period that has seen revolutionary advances in digital technology and consumer engagement. His job at the helm was to steer the ship and encourage owner-managers to make good decisions quickly. After long discussions, the business reinvented itself as Science Magic Inc, emerging in September 2020 with properly joined up strategic thinking informed by data, bringing solutions to new and existing customers. It has also achieved B Corp status and signifies how purpose and profit will become a measure and obvious incentive for all good businesses going forward. Hiring good people is another important touch point in the conversation. Businesses are, after all, made up of people who execute the vision and the strategy. If you enjoyed this episode, join me next time when I will be speaking with Matthew Rawlings, Retail Director of Independent Retailer Co's. 
And if you are enjoying the series, hit the subscribe button to receive notifications on upcoming episodes, where you'll get to hear first-hand insights from across the global fashion and creative industries.